often vulgar, always explicit, and sometimes funny. Slap box. Slap box. Welcome to the Slapbox Podcast. This is episode 400. That's right, we've done 400 of these things. Uh, I am your host, Josh Albrecht. Once again, camped out, quarantined up in the bunker. Well, I'm not officially quarantined. I mean, I'm beginning now. I don't have I don't have COVID-19 to the best of my knowledge. Uh, so that's, you know, that's a plus. That's that's good stuff. But 400 of these things. And actually, on uh, April 20th, uh, we'll make uh, eight years since we published the first episode. It was recorded on St. Pat's of 2012, but the uh, first one didn't come out until April 20th. And I didn't really do that intentionally because it was Hitler's birthday or... Uh, the anniversary of Columbine, or the fact that it's the stoner's holiday because, you know, police code is 420 uh, for smoking pot. Uh, so none of that was taken into consideration. I just, it was convenient. I had a couple episodes in the bag. That's when I published it. <laughs> uh, actually, I started a little late tonight. Uh, we're doing some renovations here at the bunker as... Uh, tearing down some walls I would have started much earlier probably would have had the muffin man join me had I been able to start sooner but uh, you know there would have been a loud thuds and uh, audio would have been a little rough had I done so so uh, getting a late late start but uh, yeah 400 that's that's a lot of hours that's at least 400 hours because we've always done like at least an hour uh, there was occasionally we'd get some where it hit like two hours, but I think it's been a few years since we've hit that mark, and that's uh, that's pretty crazy to to think about that. There was, of course, the I think the first episode we ever did that was was like one of the early ones. It was the first one we did with Danny, and we actually split it up into two parts. I shit, I think I, I mean, we talked to Danny for a couple of hours. I don't remember how long it was, but we split her up into a, 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 a yeah multiple stuff, and then it was like ooh. Then I can take an extra week off because I don't have to do another episode. It was kind of fantastic. Now I can't imagine going for. I mean, sometimes you know we have a few people on I haven't talked to in a while or whatever. We we can go for a while, but over an hour gets a little ridiculous. I can't imagine doing that by myself. It's hard enough doing an hour, but a uh, lot, lot of fun times in those four hundred episodes. Seen a lot of shit. I still am surprised that the world isn't over yet. I mean, I, I thought for sure 2012, we're like, okay, we're only going to do a few of these episodes. See, we started in uh, uh, March of 2012. We were like, well, you know, it's all then. It's all going to end in December because if if we all remember, I mean, the world ended. Uh, I don't remember what day that was supposed to be, <laughs> but it was sometime in 2012 in December. It was, yeah, and uh, maybe it did end, but. Uh, pretty sure it didn't my mind's fucking with me a little bit now that i've been staying in this room so much i mean i've barely come out of this room they're just uh rocking uh, a lot of a lot of final fantasy 7 still uh doing some programming action but a lot i mean i've finally got through final fantasy 7 so maybe i can get back to doing some more work doing programming do something that maybe a little bit more productive uh however maybe that will uh impede my ability to speak for an hour <laughs> every Saturday. 
but, uh, hopefully not. Um, uh, I'd say though, I, I am a fan of what they did with the Final Fantasy VII remake. That is good stuff. If you haven't checked it out, and you're of course you're a fan of the original Final Fantasy VII, which came out in '97. Uh, I mean, check it out just for the fact that I mean it's all the same characters, and they they stayed fairly true to the original story and such, but they've changed some things, and it's like they've added. I don't want to spoil too much, but uh, they've. Uh, almost set it up like it's almost a different universe from the original because there it diverts a bit with the story, and you get more Sephiroth, uh, which in the original there was I don't know three or four discs to the game, and in the first disc it ended once you left the city of Midgar, so the, all of Midgar was like in disc one, and. Uh, there was much more to the game after that. There was quite a bit more to the game. But the remake, this particular one, they're going to put out multiple games now. This one is all in the city of Midgar. It ends with you leaving Midgar. And uh, there's more Sephiroth. Because I think in the first disc initially that there just wasn't a whole lot of Sephiroth. You barely touched on that. It wasn't until after you left Midgar that you really started getting Sephiroth and getting flushed out. But uh, you really... You really see some Sephiroth action in this one. Uh, I mean, like, there was a little bit in Midgar originally, but but not that much. And there's there's definitely some things changed. And uh, if you played the original, this shouldn't be a spoiler. But Jesse, uh, which, after playing this, I think that's who Cloud should be with. I mean, that is... And, spoiler alert, but there's a, a trophy you can get by getting there's a bike mini game much like in the original there was a bike mini game well i guess there's two bike mini games sort of uh in this one but uh one that happens near the end of the game which happens is pretty much that's where it happened in the original but there's one earlier in the game uh in this remake that uh there is a trophy you can get uh which you have to get uh you have to do Let's see. You have to end the bike mini game with 80% of your health to get the said trophy. Now, what happens? Sp- Again, spoiler alert. But uh, Jesse, she's riding on, on the back of uh, Cloud's motorcycle, and if you get that, and she will, uh, she will tell you that you did a good job on driving. You passed the test, and then she gives him a kiss, and then just like, oh, then was a uh, Cloud gets some action if you if you perform well. You know, you'll you'll get a little bit, and I don't recall there being much of a backstory to Jesse in the original, but in this one they flesh out the fact that she was an actress in the Gold Saucer, which I'm not sure exactly how that works, because apparently when she's living in Midgar City, she's also been working as an actress in Gold Saucer, and the people that live in her house in the Midgar Sector Seven slums also are actresses and. But again, if if you know your Final Fantasy VII, Midgar City is nowhere near Gold Saucer like that. Like I don't, as far as I know, they don't uh, have a really like tra- like a teleporting machines or anything like that. That must be one hell of a commute to get over to Gold Saucer from Midgar. And it seems like in the game, it's hard to get out of fucking Midgar City. 
You know, it's a big mission. Maybe it's because of the fact there was the whole, you know, blowing up parts of the city that made it hard to get out. I'm not sure, but it's it's a little difficult. And uh, I did, but I did beat the game now. And uh, when you beat the game, there's, okay, there's difficulty settings, which there wasn't originally. There was just one difficulty. You just played the fucking game. The difficulty came when you, like, would take on, like, the... Uh, the secret bosses at the end that just are insanely hard emerald weapon and ruby weapon uh but in this one there is the classic setting there's easy and normal when you first play the game then once uh you beat the game um i don't i don't know if it has to be a normal setting i had a normal but uh it may have to be on normal but i think you just had to beat the game once and then it unlocks um the hard difficulty setting and also when you do that um it unlocks uh the chapter select so you can instead of going back and playing the whole game again you can go back to each chapter individually and just play that chapter now hard like it gets pretty hard <laughs> it's like uh you know maybe taking a popping a couple of Vi- viagra not that i would know you know um <laughs> There's no sense of me doing that since all I do is jerk off. And there's no putting it anywhere else. But, uh, anywho, <laughs> um, I, uh, yeah. So there's chapter select, and, uh, there's also certain things you can only do once you get to the hard mode, and you can only get weapon abilities. Like in this one, um, in the original one, you just get different weapons and you can equip the materia to them, and there's like the weapons don't. Uh, level up at all but they sort of level up now like you can uh, once you get the weapon uh, you every time your character levels up you get these SP points and then you take those points and you can unlock different abilities on the weapon and just keep doing that but you can't unlock everything unless you go through the hard mode and then you get these manuscripts that unlock things but what gets crazy about the hard mode is that now during during any other difficulty setting you have uh you can use items to heal yourself and to uh have the effects of like different spells or or what have you but you can do items and e- items are easily they quickly are used whereas spells take a minute and while you're using the spell or casting the spell or what have you the uh enemy can attack you and then you lose your magic points and then it doesn't work. So, items you use like instantaneously as soon as you use the item. So it's coming. Items make it a lot easier. But uh, the hard mode, that's that's no more. You can't use items at all. So you got to make sure you have each character should have some sort of healing. At least one person needs a revival spell. So it get a little difficult. But it's not. Uh, I mean, I've I've gone through several chapters on hard, and mostly it's just the bosses that get like pretty ridiculous. But after beating it on normal, I feel like it's 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 doable. Like, like uh, I mean, if you're big into Final Fantasy VII, like it's sh- hard difficulty shouldn't be too ridiculous to you. Um, but uh, but yeah, then thankfully I can now put put that on the back burner a little bit. I've seen all the Final Fantasy VII remake. I can get back to being hopefully a little bit more productive in society, which society means my room at this point. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Uh, anyway, but yeah, uh, you know, I figured I'd look up some uh, entertainment news as uh, 
maybe I'll try to watch a few more movies, sneak some in there, here and there. Again, now that uh, Final Fantasy VII's out of my system for the most part, um, though I haven't gotten 100% on trophies. That'll happen eventually. Uh, I did see here that uh, the B-movie director, this is on ScreenRant.com, uh, this is uh, an article by Zach Wojnar. I don't, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but B-movie director Roger Corman is hosting a quarantine film festival. Uh, legendary director Roger Corman has sent an open challenge to filmmakers for the first and hopefully last Corman Quarantine Film Festival. Uh, he, man, he's getting up there. He's produced a lot of stuff. Uh, says here, legendary quarantine film festival. Online contest for filmmakers to create art from the comfort of home. Roger Corman is an icon of independent film and a legend within the movie industry. As a director, he created timeless B-level drive-in classics. And as a producer, he discovered filmmakers like Peter Bogdanovich, James Cameron, Francis Ford Coppola, and countless others. I think Jack Nicholson did some early films with uh, Corman. But uh, to spice things up during the current coronavirus crisis, Corman had has announced the first Corman Quarantine Film Festival on Instagram, an open challenge to filmmakers to create a short film with only the resources present in their home. The films must be under two minutes in length and shot with a cell phone. Anyone can make a movie and send it to Corman using the hashtag Corman Challenge, and the filmmaker has nominated fellow directors Eli Roth, Andy Muschietti, uh, Peter Bogdanovich, Rodman Flender, Amy H. Jones, and fellow legend of indie film Lloyd Kaufman to participate. And here's his uh, video here on Instagram. Let's, uh, and don't know why the audio... Oh. Huh. Yeah, that's right. I uh, potted it down whenever uh, I played the intro music. Uh, that might help if I... Well. Hello, I'm Roger Corman. Hopefully you're staying home and staying healthy. My wife and I are doing the same. We'd like to try something with you. We're looking for the next great film director. A surprising old, number of Academy Award winning film directors have started with me. Therefore, we've decided to start something new. The first and hopefully last Corman Quarantine Film Festival. The rules are simple. The short film must be filmed inside your home or your backyard. The film must be under two minutes. The cast can be your family or whoever is in your house with you. The equipment is your cell phone and the lights and lamps you have at your house. The story can be anything you imagine. The winning short will be featured on my social media and website. We will make a trailer for the film, and the director will receive a signed certificate from me, as well as a Best Picture Award for the first and last Corman Quarantine Film Festival. Yes, that was uh, his announcement there. And... uh so, yeah, you have to uh, use your cell phone and you have to film it inside your home or in your backyard. The short must be filmed on a cell phone. It must be under two minutes. You tag uh, Mr. Corman there as uh, uh, hashtag Corman Challenge. Check out your film. 
Uh, says here, Hollywood has taken a severe hit from the coronavirus pandemic. The box office has dropped to effectively zero, while virtually every major summer blockbuster has been pushed to later the, in the year or even 2021. Film productions have been put on an indefinite hold. Perhaps something like Corman's Challenge is just what directors need to keep their creative juices flowing. It's also a tremendous equalizer for young and inexperienced filmmakers to compete on more or less equal footing with famous directors. Roger Corman has spent his whole life giving a platform to unknown talent and turning them into household names. That continues thanks to the Corman Quarantine Challenge. Uh, so yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I don't know what you get from winning. I didn't catch that, but uh, it'd be cool just to have Roger Corman watch your stuff, even if it if it's not great. <laughs> just to have him, like, holy hell. There, uh, man, damn it, I thought it said something about uh, his, uh, if you had, <laughs> he made the first Fantastic Four movie ever, and uh, it doesn't mention anything on here about it. Um, I was hoping it would. <laughs> I could have swore I saw something earlier about it but the Fantastic Four you made I can't remember who owned the rights to it at the time I don't know if it was Fox or who but somebody uh, um, had the rights to it and they were going to lose the rights to well they had uh, I don't know if it was all of Marvel but they had at least the rights to Fantastic Four and if they didn't make a movie and within a certain period of time, they would lose the rights for it. So they had Roger Corman, who's known for making super cheap movies, and uh, just uh, he's always just gone as, as cheap as possible. I mean, he's known for B-rated movies, so he put together just a really super cheap superhero movie, and I think you might be able to find it uh, online somewhere, but uh, maybe not. I've only seen stills of it, but this movie was just thrown together and I don't believe it was ever actually released, but apparently it's like supposed to be one of the worst superheroes ever made, which makes me really want to really want to <laughs> watch it now. But I, I, don't, I don't know that I have time to watch forcefully watch something that bad. Let's see Roger Corn. Oh, you can get it on DVD, I guess maybe you can get it. It says it's unreleased here. Let's well, let's watch a trailer here. I want to see just how bad, like it really was. But he made they he put this movie together like super fast and put it out just so uh, they wouldn't lose the studio wouldn't lose the rights to the film. Uh, IMDb has it at three point eight. Rotten Tomatoes at thirty three percent. So I man, I guess people have seen it. So I guess you can you can actually get it somewhere. I mean, there's a trailer here. This is, uh, I don't know what year that came out. But, uh, hold on. Do -do. Put that back up. New Horizons. Oh, this is, uh... Oh, they're using claymation in part... No, no, I guess it's not claymation. That's just what the suit looks like. It looks almost like clay. Did they just put clay on this guy? <laughs> For the thing? Doctor Doom has claws? Did he have claws? Shit, I'm not sure. Oh, it looks fantastically bad. Oh. Oh. Sue Storm and, uh, was it Doctor Fantastic or whatever? Like, they're getting married. 
Stretch, whatever his name is. I don't know the Fantastic Four that well. Man, it just looks so cheap. It's so bad. It looks very much like uh, Bill Bixby's uh, when he played the Incredible Hulk in that series. It's very. This came out, I think, early '90s. But there's, it, it just does look pretty bad. <laughs> I don't even know how to describe it. I don't know who that character is, but he looks like he's wearing almost a German outfit, and then he's got some futuristic uh, eyepiece he's wearing. I don't know what that is. He seems to be a villain. <laughs> Here's an article that uh, another one on Screen Rant, and uh, it says here, Pulp Fiction's Gimp Origin Revealed by Tarantino. Uh, it says here, Pulp Fiction director Tar- Quentin Tarantino reveals the origins of the Gimp. Pulp Fiction is, of course, one of the most iconic films of the 90s. Oh, yes, it is. Fantastic film. It's a cult classic and still screens in independent theaters. Fan interest remains persistent almost 30 years to the point that writer and director Quentin Tarantino regularly fields questions about the movie, his script inspiration, and characters' backstories. In 94, a crime film, Pulp Fiction, The Gimp, played by Stephen Hibbert, is shrouded literally and metaphorically in mystery. He is Maynard's, that is Dwayne Whitaker, the actor that plays him, a leather-clad servant, and it's clear that the pawn shop owner has had him for a long time. Maynard's brother, Zed, uh, played by Peter Green, is one of the movie's main antagonists. In Pulp Fiction, Maynard leaves the gimp to guard the pawn shop basement, and he gets knocked out when Butch, played by, of course, one Bruce Willis, uh, when, of course, Butch later escapes. Little is really known about the Gimp beyond his appearance in Pulp Fiction, but Tarantino has now revealed the backstory he had in mind for the unique character. That is very, very interesting to know. I think they should do, like, a Gimp short story, at least, like a short movie. Maybe that should be Tarantino's holy hell Fuck Tarantino, I think this is a Roger Corman challenge right here. This would be a good, like, film your idea of the Gimp. He's locked in a room. This should be, like, I don't have a Gimp suit. I'm going to have to unfortunately. <laughs> I would feel horrible. Holy, Like, you know, right now, I know a lot of people are just ordering all kinds of shit on Amazon. But you got to figure these people working at Amazon warehouses have to deal with working around this, uh, you know, viruses and shit and like the more stuff they have to go pick the more stuff they have to go probably by other people so when you're ordering stuff like you could be you know putting them at risk um now i did see that i think in paris somewhere you know it was paris somewhere in france they had shut down uh maybe all of france but they they had shut down some amazon warehouses there um but for the most part amazon's working hard because people keep ordering shit online but I would feel terrible <laughs> if I did because, like, my first thought was like, "Holy shit, this Roger Corman challenge! I should order a gimp suit." <laughs> that night, I really don't have the money right now. You know, I'm kind of I'm working like 16 hours a week, so uh, this probably wouldn't be a wise decision for me to spend money on a gimp suit. But damn it, after knowing Roger Corman has this movie challenge, and this is the perfect story to film. Um, anywho, this is. <laughs> Here's a, going back to this here. Um, 
In an interview with Empire Magazine, Tarantino discussed his whole body of work and shed light on a few canon classics. The director also revealed information about one of his more salacious characters, the Gimp. In terms of backstory, Tarantino explained he was like a hitchhiker or somebody that they had picked up seven years ago. They trained him so he's the perfect victim. He also clarified that the Gimp dies in the movie, saying, It doesn't quite play this way in the movie, but in my mind, when I wrote it, the Gimp's dead. Butch knocked him out, and then when he passed out, he hung himself. Uh, Pulp Fiction was only Tarantino's second film, and the first to garner mass critical and audience attention. It's impossible to deny that his sophomore work took his career to another level, even now, audiences still enjoy revisiting its twisted tale, and fans love learning any morsel of new information. Tell me more about the Gimp, damn it. Uh, the Gimp is just s- such a character, having received little screen time and even less explanation for his BDSM getup. He's been presented only as a satellite to other characters, Zed, Maynard, and Butch. Uh, man. So, yeah, he was a hitchhiker. That's all I garnered from that, and they fucking kidnapped him. And <laughs> turned him into their slave, which is kind of what I felt like that was probably the sort of the case. And it didn't seem like he's there uh, willingly. Man, look at that! Oh man, forgot to put my phone on silent. Um, but uh, it doesn't look like he's there willingly. I mean, he is chained up and stuff. But then that's part of the BDSM. Like maybe he enjoys it. It's hard to say. Uh, but. Uh, Oh, man. Seeing stuff about uh, the next Thor movie. I was like, shit. I probably didn't film that yet. <laughs> uh, can't can't wait to see Natalie Portman as Thor. Lady Thor. Uh, here's another article on Tarantino. That, uh, that last one was uh, by Mackenzie Zadichies. I don't know. I'm probably way mispronouncing that, but this one's uh, here on by Dan Zinsky. Uh, how True Romance would have been drastically different if Tarantino directed it. Uh, Quentin explained how True Romance would have been different had he directed it himself before he became renowned as the director of the 90s classic like Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, and Jaggy Brown. Tarantino uh, famously kicked off his Hollywood career as a screenwriter, uh, selling a pair of scripts that would go on to become the memorable movies True Romance and Natural Born Killers. Also, it should be noted beforehand, he was in an episode of The Golden Girls. It doesn't mention that, but he played an Elvis impersonator. is in there very briefly, but, uh, you know, it's one of his first early gigs. Then uh, Tarantino, of course, has been very vocal about his disdain for the movie Oliver Stone eventually made from his natural-born killer's script. Uh, Stone extensively rewrote the script until it was nothing like Tarantino's original. True Romance, on the other hand, has been embraced by Tarantino, who has praised the way director Tony Scott handled his story unlike natural-born killers, which barely feels like a Tarantino film at all. True Romance seems suffused with Tarantino's particular style and still lives on as a vital piece of the larger Tarantino universe. If you haven't seen that, watch that fucking movie. I mean, you got Christian Slater, Patricia Arquette as the leads, and then you got great performances by James Gandolfini before he was Tony Soprano and just just good stuff. Brad Pitt is one of his early roles, and uh, he's just like a stoner on the couch, and Michael Rapport's great in it. Some good shit. Um 
It says, Speaking to Empire in a Q&A, the magazine published in its print edition a year ago, but only released online recently. Tarantino discussed true romance. Bah, bah, bah. Uh, I, here's what, what he has to say. I would have done my original ending where Clarence dies, and I would have had all the comedy and all the romance, but it would have been a little rougher, and with it being a little rougher, we could have earned the more tear-jerking ending. I mean, with a fairy tale popcorn movie that Tony made, that almost would have been a dirty trick. Killing Clarence, you would have had to have earned the ending that I wrote, and I think I would have earned it more. Uh, of course, let's see here. Scott's version of the movie sees Christian Slater's character Clarence get shot in the eye, but survive, going on to live happily ever after with his girlfriend, Alabama. As Tarantino explains, he was fine with Scott changing the ending because Scott's vision for the story overall was different. The adjustment was required in order to make sense with what was essentially a less realistic and more glossy take. In the same Q&A, Tarantino also discussed how he wrote the character Drexel to give himself someone to play in the movie at a time when it seemed like it would be a low-budget film he himself might direct. However, once the film was taken on by Scott and the budget went up, real actor... Uh, Gary Oldman was brought in to take on the role instead. Ultimately, it was a good move hiring Oldman as he created a truly memorable and creepy character. His limited acting skills, Tarantino's performance as Drexel would have no doubt been much less effective and possibly downright terrible. <laughs> uh, I kind of want to see fucking Tarantino as Drexel, though. Like, he thinks he's, like, Native American. Like, oh, I, I, That's a great scene, by the way. It's like uh, Gary Oldman and Christian Slater when Drexel, of course, the pimp. And, uh... He's like, he must have thought it was dumb white boy day or whatever. <laughs> uh, when he kills the pimp, takes takes all the drugs. That's fantastic. Great scene. Uh, great fucking movie. Great fucking body's ba- body bags too. Great fucking movie. Let's see, uh, overall, it sounds like Tarantino's own directorial take on true romance would have been closer in tone to Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, of course. It would have uh, early films of that uh, of his that maintained a certain grittiness while playing homage. Yeah, to, yeah. Anyway, didn't get a whole lot of detail on that one either. I was really hoping this is really just all clickbait. They have one here. I was hoping for more news, better news. Uh, yeah. Oh wow, this creepy picture of Bill <laughs> Bruce Campbell here. <laughs> Uh, possibility of him uh, playing Doctor Strange, in uh, or not Doctor Strange, but a character in Doc, uh, the next Doctor Strange. Wait, oh, wait a minute! Oh, now if you're a fan of Kevin Smith, I mean, I I grew up, you know, watching the early Kevin Smith films. I haven't seen a lot of his the the later stuff, but uh, I did not. Sadly, I did not see Clerks two. I mean, I've seen Clerks one a lot, but Mallrats is probably my fave of the uh, Kevin Smith uh, films. And here it says, uh, Kevin Smith only has 20 page pages left. And this is yesterday they posted this. Uh, Kevin Smith only has 20 pages left to write of Mallrats 2 script. That's fantastic. Um, this is, uh, it says, Kevin Smith is 20 pages. The most current draft of Mallrats 2 the COVID-19 pandemic is taking its toll on shopping malls and small businesses everywhere, but it gave Kevin Smith time to catch up on a few projects. The Dogma and Chasing Amy director let the news about Mallrats 2 drop while discussing watching movies with old friends 
which he will be doing when he streams his 95 comedy classic Mallrats during a Facebook Live watch party on April 20th. So that is uh, on Monday. Yeah, this is Monday. Uh, The party will aid coronavirus pandemic relief efforts. Non-essential businesses have taken an enormous hit, and his upcoming Mallrats sequel, Twilight of the Mallrats, will reflect that. Smith has spent the lockdown finishing the scripts for Mallrats 2, Clerks 3, and other unrealized projects he's had shelled. The first Mallrats released in 95 was a slacker romance comedy with the disgustingly delicious chocolate-covered delivery in reference to the uh, the where uh, Brody, played by Jason Lee, like, uh, I believe, was he wipe his ass or something like that and then put his hand in a bag of chocolates and gives it to, uh, uh, shit, uh, fucking guy from <laughs> damn it uh he's in guardians of the galaxy and uh yeah yeah walking dead damn it his name eludes me uh book shit fuck i see his face anyway <laughs> uh if nothing else movie highlight the importance of washing your hands it told the story of ts played by jeremy london and brody at jason lee uh spending a day in the mall after uh, bad breakups with their girlfriends. They don't just window shop. They compete on a dating show show called Truth or Date. Meet Marvel Comics Stanley, played by Stanley himself, and relentlessly harass a clothing store manager, played by Ben Affleck. Jay and his hetero life mate Silent Bob reprise their roles from Clerks. Mm. But uh, Smith told the S. Asbury Park Press. He is 20 pages away from completion on the screenplay of the latest iteration of a potential Mallrats sequel, Twilight of the Mallrats. The upcoming sequel will deal with the skyrocketing unemployment numbers in America and how the pandemic is hitting the economy. The script is being reformed as we speak by the pandemic, by coronavirus, because clearly this is something that affects us going forward from now through all time. Smith said uh, when he first started talking about the Mallrats sequel, he had in, it tenuously set 20 years after the first film at a time when the mall was closing down. Mallrats 2 will explore the end of mall culture. Nobody's forgetting about this, Smith said. It, this isn't a minor blip in the history of humanity. Everything we do from here on in in the arts that reflects life is going to include this time in our history. It's not like you can ignore it or something like that. Ugh. But, uh, even though the screenplay is still in the draft stage, the upcoming sequel caught the attention of actors Bruce Campbell and Michael Rooker. That was the actor I was looking for, Michael Rooker, uh, who are confirmed to appear. Man, Bruce Campbell's going to be in there. Nice. I just saw the picture of Bruce Campbell. Anyway, Campbell and Smith actually hashed out the deal together in a series of Twitter posts. Uh, while there is no word on what he will play, the Evil Dead star promises to put his whole chin into the part. Smith has started uh, various mall rats follow-up attempts in the past. It's even been in the running for a TV series and almost got rebooted as Mall Brats. So it's good to see the project isn't dead. Original film wasn't a smash hit, but it gathered a large cult following and helped Smith move from low-budget films to larger works. Hopefully Mall Rats 2 find a similar su- kind of success. Yeah. But yeah, that's fantastic. I'm, I'm excited for that. That is... Uh, that's good stuff. Love me some uh, mall rats, man. That uh, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Campbell, Michael Rooker. Uh, 
uh, he was Michael Rooker was just a great asshole. He's uh, been known to play some bad characters, man. What like if you haven't seen it, shit, I'm gonna have to pull this up. But this film's kind of fucked up. If you like movies about serial killers and stuff, you gotta see this uh, early film of Michael Rooker. Um, it used to be on Netflix. I don't know if it still is, but it, it's a very disturbing movie, and uh, I really need to find the name of it. I mean, it's really fucked up. Like, it's like him and this other guy that uh, they end up killing people together. And they come like serial killers, and they're like filming them killing some people. And it's uh, it's brutal. It's a fucking brutal ass film. That guy's been in a lot of movies, so it's hard to go find. Like, it was at least in the 80s. Henry, yeah, it was one of his first films here. Yeah, he was on a TV show before that, but then, like, Henry was like, I mean, he must have been fucking young at the time. It was 1986. It's Henry. Um, According to IMDb, where's the fucking synopsis here? It says, loosely based on serial killer uh, Henry Lee Lucas. Film follows Henry and his roommate Otis, who Henry introduces to murdering random selected people. The killing spree depicted in the film starts after Otis's sister, Becky, comes to stay with them. Uh, the people they kill are strangers, and in one particular gruesome attack, kill all three members of a family during a home invasion. Henry lacks compassion in everything he does and isn't the kind to leave behind witnesses. And it is a severely fucked up movie. It's uh, pretty crazy. And he did pretty well at the box office considering its budget. It was $111,000 and it grossed 609000 So it was, it uh, made its money and then some. So, I mean... For such a small film, that's pretty impressive. Uh, and be, with it being that... <laughs> uh, there's the tagline. Damn it. Yeah, I killed my mama. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> uh, he's not Freddy. He's not Jason. He's real. I mean, it. it's disturbing. I'm trying to see who directed it. Where the fuck? Uh, I'm used to IMDb on my phone, not on, not on my damn computer. That's uh, they have shit. Oh, here, John McNaughton. I, I'm unfamiliar. He also was one of the writers on there. So I am. Uh, but yeah, if you can find that one on Netflix or something, you wanna. It's kind of severely fucked up thing to watch. Fuck with your brain while you're on quarantine. It's good stuff. That uh, that is, man. Now I'm gonna have that movie stuck in my head. That's, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, Final Fantasy VII. That was that was good stuff. I really hope that uh, this doesn't throw back Mandalorian season two too long. Cause man, I'm really looking forward to that. I don't think they filmed any of it yet. And I didn't know about this, but I saw that I I had no idea that there was a new Al Capone movie and Tom Hardy's Al Capone. I am so out of the loop here. These pictures of him as Al Capone look pretty fantastic. It's uh, it's something special. Yeah, sorry. It's, yeah, whew, fighting back a yawn there. As it is, of course, getting pretty late. It, I mean, it's not obscenely late, but for me these days, I'm, you know, pushing 40 here. It's like after 10, 
So there for a long period of time, I was getting up at 3 a.m. every day to go to work when I was working 58 hours a week. And, you know, 10 8 o'clock was supposed to be my bedtime. So it's it's rough. Getting old's a bitch, man. It's a real bitch. So, but I'll muscle through here. This is a, oh no, I I didn't mean to do this. Okay, it's not going to hit play. <laughs> uh, unintentionally refreshed a page that had uh, Gloria uh, or Brannigan rocking. And they don't, I thought it was going to start playing. And like the Blues didn't win. But I, one, I guess, benefit in a way that this is, I guess it ended the hockey season. I don't think they're going to play like a short and abbreviated season or anything. I know baseball's talking about starting uh, soon and starting play in Arizona, like having all the teams in Arizona playing to like no no fans. Um, but I I haven't seen anything about the hockey season. I should I guess look that up right now. Uh. But uh, with them not playing, oh wait, here's a this is a New York Post here. Twenty fourteen playoff inside NHL's new complicated restart vision, uh, according to Paul Bereswell. I don't know. <laughs> I have such a problem with names tonight. Uh, we can tell you that while it's true the NHL has explored the possibility of completing the 2019-2020 season in a remote location such as Manchester, New Hampshire, 6th Avenue has determined that the infrastructure in such a uh, has determined the infrastructure in such a locale would be insufficient to support such a massive endeavor. Rather, Slapshots has learned that the league is now focused on playing in an NHL city, perhaps more than one, that has been spared the worst of the coronavirus pandemic, whose curve tracks positively, and is located within a state whose social distancing regulations would be relaxed by the time the first puck is ready to be dropped. The effort faces the same massive obstacles that have been cataloged repeatedly over the past few weeks that apply to every sport, not just hockey. The athletes and teams, support staffs, etc. would essentially have to be segregated from society for the duration of their respective seasons while tested regularly for COVID-19. Of course, the games would be played without fans, but you would get to see them on TV. Um... We have been told from sources on both sides of the aisle that NHL teams continue to press for resumption and completion of the regular season that would precede a traditional Stanley Cup playoff tournament. That, though, is not going to happen. I understand that teams completely out of contention don't want to owe their local television partners givebacks or credits, but sorry about that. The Red Wings, Senators, Kings, Devils, et al. are not reconvening. An arduous enough task in itself, even the myriad travel restrictions across the world, in order to be isolated for a three-week training camp and up to 13 completely meaningless games apiece, that is ridiculous. We are living in a surreal environment, but let's be somewhat realistic here, too. Us guys want to play, not only because of escrow implications, but we can authoritatively tell you there isn't anything close to unanimous. Unanimity with uh, the Players Association on the matter of players leaving their families behind for what would be to a couple of months for those on teams advancing to the playoffs. Uh, man, this article keeps going on and on. But I guess they're still kind of arguing over this. Um, 
Yeah, there's there's a lot to this article. <laughs> I'm not going to read this whole thing. I apologize for even like getting involved. Let's get started here. Um, <laughs> uh, says the league's focus is trained on this summer and all of the enormous obstacles that stand in the way of a restart. But a greater vision is required for next season and the ones that hopefully will follow. Both sides should get to work on that as soon as possible. Maybe they can meet in Manchester, New Hampshire. So it's a possibility they could start again. It sounds like it's like kind of real fight. I mean, it should. I mean, it's hard to do. I mean, that even with just two teams playing, there's a lot of players there. There's a lot of people that are going to work at the stadium. Just keep the lights on and everything. That's like, you know, I can see why there's problems there and having the guys have to travel to play each other and teams how many games are you actually going to play but it's kind of kind of sucks that this is the season where it gets cut I mean being a you know fucking blues fan and seeing a finally win the cup and then the season where they get to you know just show it all the time get to like all the fans get to see it and uh like boom you, your season gets essentially canceled However, though, if if they don't play out the rest of this year, they start fresh next season, I would imagine they're still the Stanley Cup champions, so they get to be champions even longer. And so then, you know, they should, I would theoretically assume that the Stanley Cup would still be at Blues games. So that's, I guess, something to look forward to. If you can ever get be allowed back at a Blues game and not just see it on TV. Which, again, is another shitty thing. If they play these games, fans are not going to be able to go to the games. Which, is again, sucks. I mean, the Blues fans have been waiting for this forever. Didn't seem like it was ever going to happen. I mean, it seemed like there were so many times when the Blues had such amazing teams where they just came so fucking close and it was just like, thought, this is their year, this is their year, and nope. And there was uh, when Halak... Uh, Yaroslav Halak and uh, Brian Elliott were in goal for the Blues, and they had that season where they were number number one in the league during the season, just fucking on fire, unstoppable. And I believe they lost first round, I think, to the Sharks. And even before that, I mean, you had so many teams, so many great teams around, like Brett Hall and uh, Shanahan and fucking Oates, uh, Cujo. Just great fucking players. They're like Brett Hole, I mean, that era was just fantastic to watch. And they had the season where Wayne Gretzky was on there at the end. I mean, that seemed like holy fucking shit. This is this is it. They're gonna do it. And nope, nope. I feel like if Gretzky would have just been on there for like a full season, man, they would just like oh, they could have just given us like one seat or just come back the next. Fuck, man, something, man. He's the great one, the greatest hockey player that ever existed. It was cool for him to be a blue note just for even just for a little while. But I mean, uh, that's one of the. I mean, there's so many shitty things about this whole coronavirus shit. But you know, it's like fuck, man. I realize that shouldn't be like number one of my priorities and why this sucks. But it's just another reason why it sucks so bad. I guess it is pretty high up there for me though. I was really hoping to see some blues in the playoffs again, you know? It was exciting last year. What? Or, well, I guess so. <laughs> yeah, last 
last last Stanley Cup, man. That was that was exciting watching that shit. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to go to any games, but going to the bar or just watching the games that I watched at home. And uh, unfortunately, when I went out to the bar, it seemed like bad news. Like those games where I went and watched it at a bar, like they fucking lost. Like I believe I watched two games out in public, and it didn't go well. So maybe this is if they start playing the season and have no choice but to watch it at home, maybe they'll win them all. And this could be a benefit to them too because it is hard for a Stanley Cup champ to come back and repeat because they play longer than anybody else other than maybe Boston. The ones, of course, that lost to the Blues. And uh, and they played, I mean, they played seven games in almost like every fucking series. So, I mean, they were, they, they were in rough shape at the end. And they've had, of course, they've, uh, Jay Bowmeister had that uh, cardiac uh, episode. And uh, I imagine he's not probably ever going to play again. I think he's like 36, 37, something like that. That's fucking ancient for a professional sports star, which is sad. Like I'm 39 now. I'm like, man, I had I just gone that round, I could have retired already. <laughs> I'd be done working. You could be a broadcaster, do some color commentary, you know. They're like short. Yeah, I think I could do that. Short. I mean, that's not quite color commentary, but uh, yeah. That's uh, oh, I really want to see a Blues game again. This uh, <laughs> just thinking about it, it's like oh, I mean that was so awesome watching them them win the cup last year, and uh, I was so pumped on seeing them like back in the playoffs this year. I mean, obviously they were gonna go to the playoffs. I mean they'd lost some games, but again, of course, what I was getting to here there a second ago is just that with this extra time off uh, Vladimir Tarasenko had I forgot what type of surgery he had but he had some surgery and he was out and I this would give him time to recover which he is one of their biggest offensive threats and just gives a lot of their team time to like heal up and time that they didn't have from the short season seeing that they won the cup they went all the distance and they did not have a fresh of a team as the other players and I feel like that could help them, you know, come back and maybe maybe do a repeat, man. That would be something exciting. But dangerous again for St. Louis because that was the craziest parade and sadly I didn't go to that. I I thought about it, but again I was working that day. I would have to go like immediately after work. I wish kinda wish it did. That parade seemed sounded pretty ridiculous. I had a lot of friends that went to it and uh I mean that just watching I watched a lot of it online. And see Brett Hold drunk. <laughs> and just the St. Louis just jam-packed. You know, people in blue, sea of blue. And Blues players just throwing around the Stanley Cup and everybody getting to touch it. Like It seemed like everybody in the Blues organization was just pretty fucking drunk. And just those guys are fucking legends now. They will never have to worry about anything if they are in St. Louis. <laughs> I mean, that is, I'm sure there's going to be plenty of statues around the city for them. There's just, like, Jordan Bennington everywhere. Uh, they they, they, uh, they could get away with murder as long as it's in St. Louis. 
You go outside of St. Louis you, or Missouri, you might have a problem. Definitely don't do it in Boston. <laughs> I don't think you're going to find a jury that's going to be too supportive there. Could be a little rough. Uh, hold on. I, I've got to hear it now that I ac- almost accidentally played it. But uh, just talking about the blues. Just like, oh. Oh, yeah. There'll always be winners if they can't play another season. So, I mean, this is. This video is so classic with uh, Laura Branigan here. There's this. This 80s, like, jumpsuit thing she's wearing. Disco light. Can't tell she's wearing a... No, I guess she... I thought she might be wearing shoulder pads, but uh, I guess not. Oh, man. Just hearing that, just like, fuck yeah. Like, man, after... When they won the cup and shit, just rocking that. Just... I... I think after they won the cup, I must have listened to that in my car like every time I would drive anywhere for at least about a month. <laughs> I'm just like, boom, I would get jacked. It's like, yeah, yeah, I'm going to go to work. <laughs> going to the gas station. Yeah, I won. <laughs> uh, it's still the, I mean, I like the song beforehand too, but that's just, I like a lot of cheesy 80s music. And uh, the other, I think she's done some other big ones ones uh she passed away uh early 2000s i think in her she's only in her early 50s but uh she did the self-control i think it was another one she did great fantastic stuff though gloria 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 I mean, it's funny like how I've, I've been so accustomed to what was it been the last five years i guess or six years. No, I guess it's been six years. I started in 2014. Well, I, uh, yeah, I've been to Europe six times. But I've made the deal like every year I was going to travel out of the country till my passport was expired. But apparently that's not going to be the thing anymore. <laughs> now, like, man, it's crazy. Like, I had this since I started doing that. I really loved just going to a foreign place. And being just a complete like fish out of water and uh just a lot of excitement just like what's around the corner don't know you know and just seeing things that i read about or you know and just being around completely totally different people and uh and now i can't imagine possibly doing that in the future i don't know that i'm gonna have much allowed to do that much as far as traveling at least for another year or so till like a vaccination comes out it's it's hard to imagine but like I'm it, they broke my damn streak man <laughs> I'm not going to get out of the country so now I can just only like virtually do it I can just have watch videos or look at pictures when I used to travel I don't think I'll be able to afford to travel either if it even like loosens up for me to do so that uh, I not man, I really, I don't like even going outside anymore. I mean, I do like going outside and get some fresh air, but I mean, I don't want to go to the fucking store and be around people. <laughs> like, and I used to be that way, but man, it's like it's getting bad. I'm really 
Like anytime I'm like, fuck, I gotta go to the store. Damn it. I need, you know, this and that. I'm like, damn it, I really don't want to go to the store. It's just like, fuck it, be around anybody. Like, I'm gonna be like, I'm almost like feeling like I am Howard Hughes at this point, minus the money. Like, my jars of piss have just gotten a little out of control in here. I've got like stacked up and Fortunately, I don't have anybody to bring me milk, which I guess is good because I really don't like milk. I think I'm slightly lactose intolerant, so maybe I'm good on that end. But, uh, <laughs> no, okay, maybe I don't have jars of piss. Just like two jar, well, a jar and a half, you know. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I'm getting weird with shit. But thankfully, I live in a house with like four other people, so they're, you know, I d- can converse and it's like there's, a certain element to where it doesn't seem like the world we're currently living in with the pandemic and everything is quite real. Like it doesn't feel too real until I have to like go to work where we're having to do like social distancing, wearing the face masks and such and having to Lysol shit down and everything. And uh, we're working with a skeleton crew there or you know, if I go to the grocery store anywhere else other than fucking home, it just, you know, reality kicks in real fucking fast. But I can I can pretend in here. It's, it is like the world is the way it was, once was if I don't really think about it much. If I stay playing Final Fantasy VII for, you know, 10 hours straight, it's like I'm back being, uh, was I, I guess I was like 17, 16, 17, whenever that came out. Uh, I guess I was 16. Right? Fuck. <laughs> yeah, I was 16 whenever uh, the original one came out. But it's like I'm 16 again just playing fucking video games. Like I'm just rocking away on the original one. And I can totally forget about all this horrible shit. But, uh, but yeah. Thankfully, uh, I still have an internet access. I can do this and, uh, Watch movies. Hopefully that consists. Hopefully everybody else, anybody that's listening to this, stays uh, is healthy and uh, doesn't go completely crazy because this shit will fuck with your brain a bit. Is uh, you know, if you don't get out, and... yeah, Just wash your hands, man. Wash your hands. <laughs> uh, I would like to get outside, man. I I should really at least get outside and like run a little bit. I haven't done that now in several weeks. That stuff really does help clear the brain. And it burns off some of the food that I eat. My diet's been a little jacked up. A little bit. But these... I I feel like I can... Even if I get in really bad shape, it'll... Uh, I can turn around. I mean, I, when I first started running, I was in horrible shape. Horrible, horrible shape. Going up a flight of stairs was rough. I'm not there yet. <laughs> I'm a long way off from that. I can get upstairs fine still. But as as I was helping uh, the roommate Jackman today is remodeling the kitchen, we took uh, a lot of the and the living room, and so we took all the furniture and stuff and moved it uh, to another place and uh, helped him lift a lot of stuff. And just like, oh fuck, man, my job is normally pretty physical. Uh, as it not as of late, because we're not doing the stuff that I normally do there. 
Like I would normally do like a lot of warehouse type work where I'm moving skids and lifting a lot of boxes and such. I'm not doing so much of that now. The few hours I'm working, like it's been pretty uh, uh, non-physical labor. So like I feel like I've lost a lot of muscle mass. <laughs> and when we were moving stuff today, man, it was it was a little tough. Thankfully, the stuff wasn't too heavy and... Uh, <laughs> I did have a few instances where I thought I might fall while like carrying something though, and that that wouldn't have been good. Thankfully, uh, that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, that would be a little insult to injury there. That was, uh, I guess, I'm not really injured, but uh, other than the kidney problems, I don't think that really affected that though. Uh, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, you know. We see some light at the end of the tunnel. I know some places starting to hit that uh, appear to be going over their peak, at least going down in numbers. Again, though, if we loosen things up, people will go out, and then it could we could we could just all of a sudden just be overrun with stuff again. Some places it's going up more. Some places it's dropping down. Here, it's you know it's hard to say. I'm not a fucking doctor. <laughs> Hopefully somehow we get out of this alive. Not completely crazy. As long as I still have some video games, internet connection, and, uh, you know, I I think I'll be all right. So, yeah, all right, 400 of these. Uh, Hope everyone's uh, great and all that. And uh, as always, that's a kid in a wheelchair, not a trash can.